Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, Special Operations Military News, and Straight Talk with the Guys in the Community. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Software Radio. I'm your host today, Steve Balistrieri, and uh, this afternoon we're recording this on uh, Thursday, June, uh, January 7th, excuse me. Uh, this is a soft rep only podcast. Uh, we have three of us here, uh, recording this afternoon. We're going to be trying to make some sense and, and, um, hit some talking points over, uh, 
I guess there's no other way to put it. The fiasco that happened in Washington, D.C. yesterday. I mean, I, I can't think of a, another way to do that. But uh, joining us is our editor-in-chief, Jacob Sotek, and Sean Spoots. So we're going to be talking things over and trying to make some sense for our listeners out there and all of our readers. We've all written something on what trans uh, transpired yesterday. So before we go any further, want to welcome our uh, our, our two guys to the podcast. We've never had either of you on. So uh, welcome, Jacob. Welcome, Sean. Thank, Thank you. you, Steve. I'm wondering, I'm wondering why we've never been on. What, what would see, what's the reason <laughs> for that? I, I, don't, uh, I don't control who's been on, who comes on the podcast. I usually just get an email saying, hey, contact this guy. And that's what I do. So we'll have to uh, maybe we should do this. Chief. Yeah, we should. Maybe we should do this more often. So, especially if we have something like this to talk about, let's hope we don't have that too often. Yeah, that's true. Let's hope we don't have anything, oh, like this again. Jacob, you want to kick things off? And sure, sure. Um, I'll start by saying this: um, both both of you guys uh, and I have had conversations this morning about what we witnessed yesterday, and. For the first time in a long time, I'm having a hard time staying um, neutral, and I uh, I'm angry. I'm really upset, and I, I watched this whole thing unfold, um, and watched watched all the news outlets all night long, and uh, I just feel like we're we're witnessing something really unprecedented, and this is a really crucial moment in our democracy, and uh, I, I think I think we're witnessing something that is going to change our country, change our politics um, for for decades to come. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there, uh, Sean. What was your first impressions over that last night, or yet all day yesterday, actually? Well, um, I was. Um, it's funny. I kind of watched it almost as, a, as if I was a spectator to the event, as opposed to feeling it in the same visceral way that, um, that Jake did. Um, you know, I'm a student of history like you are, Steve, and, and stuff like this happening in the world is not essentially new. It's not actually new in this country. One time, a bunch of protesters burned down the Federal Reserve Bank, and we had the Whiskey Rebellion that, that George Washington put down, and we had the Civil War, and we had 10 years of really serious unrest during the Vietnam War. Uh, we had... Um, we had a bombing in, in Congress in 1954. We had another one, I think, in 1971 or 72, where they actually bombed the Congress building inside. So these are things that have been a part of our republic almost since its inception. Um, but it's all, I think it's also about the lessons we take from it. And the, the view that I came away with is, is that this is the culmination of basically four years of really hot extremist rhetoric turning into action. The extremist rhetoric of the left, which views everyone on the right as evil racist Nazis, and then the extremist rhetoric on the right, which views the left as you know, godless, baby-killing communists. And that we shouldn't be surprised that when we have extremist rhetoric like this, we, we don't have extremist actions that follow along with it. Now, that being said, there were hundreds of thousands of people in the Capitol last night. If they wanted to pull that building down, Brick by brick, they could have done it. Nothing could have stopped them. So 
I also think we should be tempered and, and realize that the actions that took place in in the uh, Congress in the Capitol building last night was the actions of a very, very small number of the people who were actually there, most of which who waved their signs and and said, you know, we love you, President Trump, and then got back in their cars and went back to the suburbs or got back on the planes and, and flew back home. They didn't engage in this thing. And the proof of that is that the building's still there. So the question now is whether or not we've allowed extremism to take over the narrative on both sides of left and right, and whether it's time to step back from that and start repudiating and distancing ourselves from the extremism and get back towards the center of things, which is where things really end up getting done in this country politically. I think that's a good point. And, you know, uh, I was kind of in the same boat with Jacob yesterday. I have no problem with protesting. That's part of, you know, what we all defended when we all, you know, raised our hand and stood up in the military. You know, uh, we, we have everyone in this nation has a right to protest whatever they feel is unjust. And as you said, Sean, I mean, the vast majority of the people that came there, that's all they wanted to do. But right. once that, like you mentioned again, and, and Joe Biden said that directly, just a small percentage of extremists changed the whole narrative of what was going on there yesterday. Um, sure. You know, and, and as President Bush, the former President Bush, I should say, said last night, you know, we're used to seeing stuff like this in banana republics not in the United States, for them to, once they, you know, cross that line and they stormed the Capitol, I don't know other way to put it, these people stormed it. You know, it was such an ugly sight to see in this country. And it's embarrassing. It's a disgrace. And, you know, I was really upset because, you know, again, everyone has a right to protest. There was nothing wrong with them going whether you agree with them or not, it's the point is they have a right to do that. They have a right to call out what they feel is something's wrong, you know, with the way the election was being held. That's all fine and dandy. But once they cross that line, really upset me to see that in this country because we've seen it in so many third world countries. And I know we've all traveled and you've seen that play out and we've never seen it to that extent. In this country, yes, we've had we had the shooting in 1954 with the Puerto Rican nationalists. We've had bombings, but never people storming the Capitol building. And it was really upsetting to see that because, you know, this is not what this country is about. This is not us as a few people were putting out on social media. Do you guys think well, that, that what we saw yesterday could be classified as sedition? Absolutely. I would call it that. I thought what we saw um, last. Yes. Yes. If the if the if the if the act if the acts are involved, if we can say that the acts were involved were designed to overthrow the government, then yes, that's definitely because that's what sedition is. Sedition is acts uh, calculated to overthrow the lawfully constituted or, or, authority of the or of the interrupt government, any government. Um. Well, I mean. You could walk in on a meeting and or something. I don't know that a protester during a protester during the Kavanaugh hearings was charged with sedition, was he? There were a bunch of people that disrupted the Kavanaugh hearings, which was the 
business of government. I don't think any of those people were charged with sedition. I think they were charged with disorderly conduct. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's got to be something that's a little more calculating, a little bit more far-reaching than just you know protesting or interrupting a meeting or something like that. Yeah, I don't think this. You, I, I don't think you can call this interrupting a meeting. This was. I think it. No, it, it's more than that. Yeah, it's more than that. Uh, you know, um, and it, it was ugly. It was an ugly that. scene, and and they weren't just trying to break in to have their voices heard. They were breaking in to, you know, disrupt and completely take over the building, and they did for a short while. And you know what we saw? Some of those yahoos who were, you know you know posing and whatever hanging from the the rafters i mean that's that yeah. was just it was beyond the pale I, I was watching that and i couldn't believe we were seeing that live and as you said sean you know when the rhetoric reaches that point and we've seen this for four years on both sides sure. i mean we've seen this for for four years eventually the lid was going to blow on this and hopefully yesterday that's was the end of it or the worst of it, I should say. And, right. and, you know, we'll have to move on from there, but it was, but it doesn't, was, the, doesn't the buck stop somewhere, you know, and, and shouldn't it stop with the president? I, I think that's where I get, I get caught up is um, <clears throat> the president of the United States virtually told those protesters when they were still protesters, when they were gathered peacefully at the ellipse, he pointed down to the Capitol building and said to them, show, show them with force what, what we're made of. And I thought his tweets around three o'clock yesterday were really weak. I, I don't think that he came out strong enough against storming the Capitol building. And then the rest of the night, obviously he was locked down by Twitter and that, that poses a problem. We should discuss that. But we... You know, we have a president who was holed up in the Oval Office effectively watching this unfold. And in any other circumstance, let's, you know, put this in military terms. If you had uh, the captain on a a Navy vessel in the middle of a battle um, disappear into his quarters and not answer the door, the XO would have to take command of that ship and um, he would be derelict of his duties. So, I, I don't see how we can phrase this any other way than the buck stops with the president for not taking stronger action and stopping this before it even started. I mean, he could have had that place locked down in five minutes, um, how, but it never happened. How, do you, Matt, how would you figure he could lock it down in five minutes? Well, you would have thought that with all of the pre-planning that went into people gathering there, all of our national security apparatus, we could have anticipated this put people on the spot to secure the Capitol. And even if there were, they were undermanned, we certainly didn't have to wait till six, seven, eight o'clock at night to secure the Capitol. I mean, we, we should have just gone in there in force and secured that, that building. Well, um, you know, I think and, it was and again, a weak response. I, I think you go back to the military and our military experience. And if you know that many people are coming in to the Capitol, of Washington DC for a protest, you always have to plan ahead and say, what if something like this happens? I mean, that's what we do all the time. And I find it hard to believe that they didn't have these guys already alerted, not saying, you know, standing their ground on the Capitol dome, 
But having all of these assets already alerted and standing by in, in a location where they can get to the Capitol in 15 minutes at the most. And they obviously didn't. And, and to be your point, Jacob, I, you know, I was waiting for the president to come out and say, OK, this is completely wrong what we're seeing. And he didn't. And, you know, I thought it was really weak sauce on his part. His first tweet and even members of his cabinet were telling him, you know, you have to put an end to this. You have to tell these people to stop. And, you know, as, as much as I dislike, I, I don't I've never been a fan of Joe Biden. I thought he phrased it much, much better. I think his tone, I think Biden's tone was was very measured and. Um, aimed at diffusing the situation, which uh, I think was really smart by by pegging this on a very small number of extremists and not exactly. painting a couple of hundred thousand people as insurrectionists and terrorists. I think he took a lot of the uh, air out of the room, which I think was a good thing. I mean, he could have thrown a bucket of gasoline on the fire if he had gone the other way. Um, it would have been a whole different ballgame, I think. Uh, but I have a few thoughts on the president on this. Um, I... I want to basically reel back the clock and say that one of the things you're doing when you're looking at the security measures you're going to take for a demonstration like this is to look at past gatherings. And the president's had dozens of rallies around the country over the last four years, tens of thousands of people. And they really haven't been marked with violence by his supporters. They haven't, you know, burned and looted and assaulted people. I mean, the opposite is what they typically encounter is getting attacked by by Antifa and other other anarchist type people on their way back to their cars. So I can kind of excuse the Capitol uh, police in the sense that they, they probably didn't anticipate that this would be something that would turn to violence. I mean, they, they had no history to go on. Whereas if you were planning for something for like Black Lives Matter or Antifa, yeah, there's, there's a marked set of circumstances in which those demonstrations turned into violence and, and that you would have to have enhance security precautions in that case i think look i think you make a great point there sean but i i don't think it's a good enough excuse and what i mean by that is this you know we we have seen these protests unfold across our country all year long and we watched cities burn we watched police get you know called in we we watched the national guard get called in to try to quell protests in and around these black Lives matter protests um, and, and other demonstrations across the country this year, there's been a lot of chatter about uh, bad actors and infiltrators and extremists in the crowd that are creating a mob mentality. This has been happening all year, and it's been happening longer than that. The, the officials and the, the experts who are in charge of this kind of thing should not be able to hide behind the excuse that we have no evidence to suggest that there's going to be violence. When as soon as the violence was over, Social media exploded with all of these people saying, oh, it was actually Antifa guys in there uh, planting pipe bombs and, and stealing things. If we knew there are people who are bad actors, who are extremists, who are infiltrating these peaceful gatherings, and this has been happening you know, long before yesterday, then law enforcement should have been ready to stop that. They should have had plainclothes officers in that crowd to con try to control it. Maybe they did, but it's still too early to know. But I just think mm -hmm. that making you know making a, a defense of of previous behavior in a situation like this is is a little thin 
Um, for all we know, there could have been non-Americans in that crowd. And we, we could be feeling the effects of, of an infiltration on our capital far into the future from, from yesterday's actions. Um, right now, it's easy to talk about American citizens taking up arms and walking into the Capitol, and we can have a conversation about patriotism and the Constitution and freedom, but this becomes a very different conversation if there's you know, espionage taking place at the same time. And, and to say that because previous protests didn't turn violent or because Trump supporters are not prone to burning down buildings the way BLM protesters are uh, is, a, is a weak argument for not having tight security there. Well, in rebuttal, I would just state the obvious. The reason that we're all sitting and watching this thing in complete shock is because nobody expected it to happen. Good point. Not, Pete, where are you our, now, not, not in our capital. Uh, <laughs> I, right. I, again, I go back I to, didn't... you know, uh, when when they started to storm the capital, I'm, I was thinking to myself, where is your quick reaction team? of Capitol Police or whoever, ATF guys, FBI. I, I, I was shocked that nobody was on call. I, you would think that in the basement of the Capitol, they would have, you know, hey, you always plan for contingencies. And, you know, we're not going to put anybody out there because that might incite the crowd. But we're going to have these guys standing by, you know, maybe in the basement somewhere. In case something does happen, and I think it's unconscionable for for people not to have planned for that, because you know, like, like Jacob said, we've seen this all year, and it doesn't say I mean that you know the people that all the people in Portland were violent, they weren't, no. but at the same time, and you know, we, we've seen some pictures of these bad actors that we've seen at all these protests, and what made people so convinced that they weren't going to show up for this. I, th I think, you know, when you're looking at, and again, the buck stops with the president and even his, his video, which was deleted later on, you know, he sent the complete wrong message. And I don't know. It's just, it was horrible. It was a horrible, Sean, you, horrible. You made a, Sean, sorry to cut you off, Steve, but Sean made a really interesting point to me earlier. We were discussing the fact that the president's Twitter account got locked down and and how that account is his conduit for speaking to the American people, not the mainstream media. And um, Sean, I wonder if you could just tell me you know, more about that thought process with regard to you know, the big tech argument, having shut down his Twitter at a time when he could have stepped up and yeah. you know, uh, called for it peace. Was, it seems to me, well, he didn't just get that video that he put out, which, um, as I recall, Emma, we, we played the recording, I think, uh, yesterday when we were all live watching this thing. Um, it called for the, for his demonstrators to basically, you know, obey the police, obey the laws, and, you know, go home. It's time to go home. And then Twitter took that video down, but so did Facebook and YouTube. So that's to me, it seemed like they were at complete cross purposes, almost seemed calculated to make things worse. I mean, you know, the president needs to say something. So the president says something and they deplatform it, which was like, what? It's crazy. And the point I was making before was that this was one of the things that the media was absolutely apoplectic about with President Trump is, and he's really the first Twitter president. 
65 million followers as soon as he tweets a story or a tweet. It goes out to 65 million people, which no media outlet has an audience that big. And it drove them crazy because once upon a time, the president would hold a press conference. You wouldn't see that on TV. You would just be told later on what the president said through the filter of the networks. And he, he took that away from them, which is the thing that you can see them just going nuts over because they can't filter the guy. So here you are in a crisis. You've got a, a riot basically at the Capitol building, and the president tries to make an appeal for calm, and they take him off so he can't do it, which was, to me, nuts. Um, but it also tells you that you know the, the social media platforms usually have their own thing going in their heads. Um, it may not be necessarily the, the smart political or tactical move in dealing with a riot, but, it's, but somebody made that call between Facebook and, and Twitter and YouTube pretty much all at the same time. And well, they've, they've been doing that to him. They've been doing that to him for quite a few months now. That's not anything new. Yeah. They, they've, they've been deleting thing. his tweets in, for months. And, yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. Our, uh, one of our guys just Joe. shared a, uh, a Instagram message and it said, the guy with his hands on the nuclear codes has now been deemed too dangerous to have a Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he can't have a well, Twitter account. What could he do? I mean, my God, he could do terrible things. Well, I, I think that, you know, Steve, that's a, it's a great thing to, to bring into this conversation, which is this wasn't just an American thing that happened last night. It, it wasn't just the eyes of the American public observing this, this event. This was the world watching. And, and I think that's something that is really easy to misplace when we're talking about the president, um, his platform, his base, how he's conducted himself in office. Um, you know, he's done a lot of things with his administration in the last four years that many people can agree with. And he's negotiated deals and he's done things that a lot of people say were great for our country. But last night, the world watched as the seat of our democracy was stormed by a violent mob. Now, it doesn't matter who was in that mob. It really doesn't. At the end of the day, every country, and and the thing that really pisses me off is that every third-rate, third-world leader out there, every dictator and every tyrant and every wannabe now has uh, dirt on us and can rub this in our face for a very long time. Now, that might be a really dramatic way of putting it, but we lost a lot of clout because, uh, you know, a a peaceful transfer of power has always been the difference maker for the American democracy. Now, I am heartened, and it's surprising because, you know, Vindman came on CNN, I think, today, or uh, I don't even know what time it is anymore, but he he came on the news today, and he he said that uh, our democracy – was successful. You know, hours after this insurrection into the Capitol building, congressmen and women were on the floor carrying out the actions uh, of the Electoral College vote, ratifying that vote. And like it or hate it, at the end of the day, we saw our democracy survive this, you know, this violence. So, you know, we are successful in the long run in holding on to our democracy and our constitution. But it hasn't earned us any street cred when it comes to dealing with 
all of our allies, allies and enemies across the world. I think that's a good well, point. I, I, I don't know that we can really avoid that. I mean, they watch the world watches everything we do right down to our television shows. And let them watch. The difference between us and everybody else is we put everything right up in the storefront window for everyone to see. We don't hide it. Um, and I don't think that should be something that we change. And this is the effect of the First Amendment. We are, I think, the freest country in the entire world when it comes to freedom of expression. And other countries do not have that. So this is one of those, this is how far it can go off the rails to have a First Amendment right. But is it, isn't it a really dangerous, slippery slope to start talking about First Amendment when we're we're seeing a violent action on the state capitol building or on a country's capitol building? I mean, I, I think that to call this a First Amendment amendment issue is a really dangerous thing. Well, no, I, I'm trying to say that it's that it's a function of being the freest country in terms of freedom of expression in the world. That this is something that can happen. It can't happen in Iran. They shoot everybody. Before they got to the steps, right? And, right. And this, you know, with this whole thing with the president with big tech, it goes back to his his argument. I mean, they they've been stifling his messages for months, right. and yet, well, it, the the red Chinese, uh, the the Iranians, all these terrorist groups, I never hear of their their accounts being suspended for five minutes on Twitter. Right. Right. Well, I mean, uh, Facebook, uh, I, uh, tell me the last time, you know, uh, Al Qaeda or, uh, you know, Al Shabaab, yeah. one of those, you know, terrorist groups, ISIS. I've never seen them. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. You can uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, but I've never seen no, them suspended. Well, I think that's because we track their URLs back so we can drone strike them. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Oh, that's maybe one way of want, looking at it. Maybe we want them to tweet and be on social media so we can track them back to their computer in a cave somewhere and put a JDAM down on top of them. But but to, but to side with the devil for a minute, um, these social media platforms, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, they're not there for free speech. They're commercial enterprises. They're there to make money. So where free speech conflicts with their monetary interests, free speech gets sway. But and I think that's there, what we don't understand point, about it. And, and this, this was something that Congress brought up when they had, you know, Zuckerberg in there. Uh, you know, when when does it become because of the size and the scope of these social media companies? Because they're not just there for commercial. They're they're, you know, controlling what goes out as information, and yeah. that then as, you know that's. But, but it's not a commercial enterprise because, you know, when you're in the middle of a political campaign, they're not allowing one side to air their woes, so to speak, regardless of whether you believe the president is a blowhard uh, or not, you know. Uh, well, that would that would be why I would I would not give them the kind of protections that they currently enjoy um, by by claiming that they don't editorialize if they pick and choose information that is allowed to be disseminated on their platforms for purposes of monetary gain they work just like a newspaper or a magazine or like we do but they hide behind that you know you're a you're a sport 
talk, talking to somebody about something wrong with baseball and they tell you it's a it's about the it's about the money and then you talk about the money and they tell you it's all about the sport you know and they, yeah. they go back and forth between the two and you know it's, it's that's what these social media platforms do as well so i agree if they're going to um censor material for interests that are related to their commercial reputation or commercial gain then they function like a newspaper or a magazine or anything else and can be sued for for stuff that they deal with that content I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I think this is—I I think this is a really interesting, you know, aspect of this whole event. And this is what Section 230 is all about. This is what people have been saying with regard to the, you know, 1996 Communications Act. This is this is at the heart of it. Is it's the way we consume information? It's mainstream media. It's the echo chamber of Facebook and Twitter, and it's how this stuff gets co-opted by both sides to to tell a narrative that is not necessarily the truth or the full truth. Um, I, while I think that's important, and I think that's uh, definitely something to discuss for years to come with regard to how we manage journalism and manage these, these platforms, uh, you know, we have a situation that is largely uh, nuts and bolts. We have a group of people storming this building and we lose control of the building while hundreds of congressmen and women are inside conducting a vote, a, a crucial vote uh, to ratify the, the results of our, our general election. This, yes. There couldn't be a more important moment uh, in our democracy than, than what we saw yesterday. And we saw more action from Vice President Pence and acting Secretary of Defense Miller than we saw from Pennsylvania Avenue. And it's, it's disheartening to me. Um, you know, I, I, Sean, you, you got an earful from me this morning, but I, I just feel like we, we've all been hoping that, you know, the rhetoric and the politics and the campaigning and all of the trappings of modern, you know, American politics today would not pierce through into the functioning of our government and that all this stuff, you know, senators could walk out of the rotunda and they could give a press conference on the sidewalk or on the steps and their party allegiance and their, you know, interests, their special interests or whatever, all that stuff could be part of the political trapping. But at the end of the day, our politicians are going to get the job done because democracy must live on. And I think the thing that's shaken me so much is that it really felt last night like at any moment that through line of democracy could stop and that's the i mean we, we we've seen the stats it's all over the the social media and, and mainstream media it's the first time since 1814 that we've we've had a an attack on our capital it's the first time in u.s history that the confederate flag has walked through the u.s capital i mean it, mm -hmm. it's it's insane it's insane. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. But to your point, the within an hour or two, uh, Congress reconvened and carried out its duties in certifying the electoral votes. Um, the defense secretary acted to protect the Capitol. I mean, the government still worked. So whatever, if they thought that marching into, into the House chamber was going to stop everything from happening, obviously that, that didn't happen. The, the republic still functioned. And, you know, dead and nobody can be got on the phone. Things still work. So that's how the government works. People who understand what their duties are under the Constitution, as, as Pence expressed yesterday, still act under that, under that duty to the Constitution and carry out their role, which I, I was very gratified to see. It didn't paralyze the whole country. I mean, but doesn't that call into question the 25th? I mean, are, I mean, they're talking about it now. They're talking about the 25th, and they're talking about impeachment. And um, you know, for the listeners, the 25th Amendment um, essentially uh, doesn't Pence taking over the country yesterday um, and leading Congress through those votes. Um, isn't there a, a lapse in leadership from the president? And shouldn't we be talking about? who's in charge right now? Well, I would say that I don't know that Pence took over the country. Pence was acting as the president of the Senate yesterday, but I'm absolutely positive that um, Defense Secretary Miller didn't just act unilaterally. The, the president has jurisdiction over the District of Columbia. That's federal property. That's a federal reservation. Um, what do you think, Steve? You know, it's funny because the earliest reports we heard was that the Capitol Police asked for the National Guard and the Pentagon said no. 
You remember, that was the early reports. The Pentagon said no. And I'm wondering if Miller had contacted the White House and that his initial reaction was no, we're not going to send the, the D.C. National Guard in there because the president is the commander of that. He has the final say on that, on the D.C. National right. Guard. And I'm wondering right. if because what happened, you know, we saw it unfolding further and further that he was convinced to allow that to happen after the fact. I, I'm pretty sure for that kind of a deployment in that kind of a situation, you would absolutely have to have the president's consent at minimum. I, I can't imagine Miller just acting unilaterally, not touching the right. desk. That's what so I'm saying. He, I, I'm curious if that was what, what transpired because, you know, we saw the initial reports that they had asked for the D.C. National Guard and they were told, told uh, no from the Pentagon which means that if the Pentagon can't say no, it has to come from the president, you know? So sure. I'm wondering if that yeah. was the case initially, and then somebody, either the vice president, even though they said he did not talk to the president, uh, the vice president or the secretary of defense convinced him that they have to do this. And that's when the national guard was called out, but it was much later. Well, uh, I don't know. There may have been a jurisdictional thing there about who would be in charge of, of that effort. Maybe it was something they went to the president and said, look, in this situation where we're talking about the Capitol being breached, um, you know, the, the command and control really should come from the Pentagon since it's an insurrection, since we're, we're judging this as insurrection rather than protest. And because it's the Capitol and not a bunch of private businesses in D.C., maybe that's it. Maybe there's some maybe there's some line of where the chain of commands cross on that. Well, I wonder, too, pleasure. about Mayor Bowser's decision to to roll out the curfew. Uh, and I think that came, you know, just after three, uh, she made that announcement. Um, and we saw uh, on, on live TV, um, police move in and, and secure the Capitol building right around six o'clock. And I think it was, you know, shortly after eight that they had the building secure. They had found uh, pipe bombs and they had, you know, cleared cleared those and cleared the building from any other stragglers. Um, the, but, you know, it, it does suggest that perhaps uh, nothing was happening. And so Mayor Bowser had to step up and say, well, the least thing I, you know, least I can do is put a curfew in place and maybe that'll help dissipate the crowd and give law enforcement who are on scene uh, a reason to, to break up a protest if it gets, you know, further out of control. Well, as far as I know, uh, the Capitol Police are distinct and different in their jurisdiction from the District of Columbia Police. Those are like different police forces with different jurisdictions. But I could see from a crowd control standpoint, once the you know Capitol Police cheer, close every, push everybody away from the Capitol, now what do you do with all these thousands of people? So mm -hmm. the mayor had an interest in closing the city down at night to make sure that whatever was happening at the Capitol didn't spill into the private businesses and the rest of the city. So... I think she was just acting under her own sort of local authority in that case. Now, the thing with the two bombs was interesting. As I understand it, both of one was placed at RNC headquarters in D.C. and the other was placed at DNC headquarters in D.C. Both of them, uh, pipe bombs. And why, maybe one was a suspicious package. I think the one at the Republican headquarters was a, was a pipe bomb left next to the side of the building. So it, it's interesting that both of them basically got bombs which is kind of odd. So it's, it's, a, it's a wonder uh, about what those 
what those persons who those actors were and whether they were the same person or same persons who planted bombs in both locations. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing. But, it is an interesting uh, thing because it does it does separate us, you know, just just that fact alone, and I understand it's a much more nuanced situation, but that fact alone suggests that we have a group of people that are acting not in allegiance to political party, but in an us versus them mentality. And that's very similar to what we've seen in all over the world where these things, these breakdowns happen. Um, it is a, a, a mob of people who are anti the government proceedings, however, however you slice it. So, you know, the fact that bombs were put in both sides, um, you know, perhaps suggests a, a group of people that are feeling really fed up with the government in general and that it's not you know, Republican and Democrat, uh, red versus blue, but but perhaps a real struggle between our political system and the people that are feeling left out in the cold. Well, if we're going to, I mean, that's a point that I think you can make. Um, and if we're going to say that there's a there's a group of people out there who do not have an ideology that is either Republican or Democrat, then what is that ideology? Um, is it is it Trumpism? The president doesn't have an ideology. He's a populist. That's a, that's a different thing than being a, a Republican or a Democrat, to be a populist. Um, you, you're coming at it in a completely different way. And if it was just about Trumpism, well, you know, is that really an ideology? Because if he won a second term, he gets four years and it dies with him. It's gone. There's no more Trumpism because Trump can't hold office again. So... It is something I hope that they look at and, and try to figure out what's what's this alternate ideology that's out there that is neither Republican or Democrat. What is it? Uh, is it is it something completely alien and foreign to the two political parties? Does it come from outside this country? Is it communism? Is it Marxist socialism? Is it something else? Maoism? What is it? Anarchy? So that that's definitely something I hope that the FBI is looking into. Is what is this ideology and that? Kind of brings us around to the, to the woman who was killed in the Capitol. Um, she was a 34-year-old, 14-year Air Force veteran. Her name was um, Ashley Barrett, or Babbitt, Ashley Babbitt. And she was shot, killed by a single gunshot wound by a, by a lieutenant in the Capitol Police as she tried to climb through the broken glass of a doorway into the, into the House chambers. And when you look at this person standing back, this is, this is not the profile of a radical. So the question that we should be asking ourselves is how does somebody like this, who appears to be a soccer mom from the suburbs from San Diego, um, turn into this radical who's busting windows and trying to enter the house chambers while they're, while they're in deliberations? She just doesn't fit the profile of what we imagine a radical, violent extremist to be. So that's another thing we should be looking at is, is, the, is the person that we don't expect to be a radical turns out to be a radical. And how does that happen? What radicalized them? And I, and I do think that there's something to the, something the case to be made for the extremist language that we've been hearing the last four years. That the extremism of one side breeds to the extremism of the other side. And everybody is sort of growing in this extremist outlook. And then you end up with violence like this. So maybe it's looking into the abyss here. We need to decide whether we're going to 
jump off the edge or whether we're going to step back from this and work more towards the middle and and push aside the radicalism on both sides of the political spectrum. Because I, I do think the future of the country very much depends on I don't, I don't think we're going to descend into chaos and civil war in the next two years. But it seems like we're on this process. The civil war didn't start in with the election of Abraham Lincoln. It was something the seeds for which had been planted much earlier. It had been a conflict between pro and anti-slavery forces that existed basically from the inception of the country in 1776 when we declared independence. It's always, it was always a matter of contention, the biggest one in the country. Now we have so many. Now it's not we don't have one issue in this country like slavery. We have a dozen at which people are completely at loggerheads, completely at opposites about what they believe. And there has to be some place in the middle for the rest of us. We can't be drawn to the extreme left or to the extreme right. There has to be something in the middle for us as Americans. Because I think that's where most people live in their heads. I mean, on the writing staff, we don't have any crazy radicals saying, yeah, burn it all down. We're all like, what in the world happened here? I think most of the people in this country sit in the middle, shake their heads and go, wait a minute, what in the world? Well, I want to I, I want to jump from that point, um, jump off that point and, and ask Steve a question. Um, and it's really a question for all of us. And I'd like for us to go through it. But it, it, it makes me wonder about leadership. It makes me think about our time in the military, um, which is a you know, very different experience in the military. But I think all of us can look to this situation and think about the next 14 days. What do we need? What do we expect from the leadership in our country? And that's um, the White House, that's Congress, um, and that's you know our our spiritual and community leaders as well. What do we need in terms of leadership as we look at the next two weeks? Um, and let's take into consideration national security. Let's take into consideration the fact that the Nimitz is sitting in the Persian Gulf right now because we had a credible threat from Iran. Now, you know, I, I don't feel very rosy about the picture when I contemplate the, the, the massive amounts of people on this planet that would love to see us fall into that abyss. And I think that we're, we are at a crucial moment. We saw uh, our politicians rise to the occasion last night and, and finish the vote. And however you voted and however you feel about the results of that vote, the fact that it was completed last night is a shining moment for our democracy. Um, but we still have a ways to go before we can hopefully heal and, and close that abyss. And I'm wondering what you guys feel about what needs to be done from a leadership standpoint. Well, speaking for myself, I think that, you know, when we look at what transpired last night, it gave me hope that I think both sides saw we were teetering on the edge of anarchy here, uh, you know, in this country, because, you know, we've been flirting with that for the past four years and we saw that what can happen. And I think that, you know, I think both sides took a big reality check, a big reality pill last night of what went on. And I'm hopeful. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm hopeful that this will be the end of that kind of divisive talk. I mean, we can still disagree left and right, Democrat, Republican, but we can disagree the way we traditionally have and still keep the country's best interests at heart. And I think what we saw last night, now obviously that was a knee-jerk reaction to what 
what happened, but I think a lot of people saw what transpired yesterday and, and realized that it's time that we start putting that kind of talk behind us and we start getting back to the business of running this country the best way that we can. Hopefully that was the worst we we're going to see. And we're going to start seeing people pull back together. These next couple of weeks will be very interesting um, because I think the president has made it clear that he's going to uh, transition over to the Bidens, but he hasn't loosened his rhetoric whatsoever. And I'm wondering if that is going to, you know, cause any more heartburn before this, this transition is over. And it's a, you know, we're at a dangerous time right now because so many people are, are abandoning ship on this current president. And, you know, a, a lot of our leadership positions are bare right now. And a lot of our enemies are watching this and wondering if this is the time that they can strike. And I don't put it past some of the bad actors that are out there. Um, you know, so I think it's time for Congress. It's time for people in this country to put all that rhetoric behind them and start putting our heads together and getting back to what made this country great and not what's in tearing it apart. Uh, I would offer on the last point you made about our enemies watching and thinking whether this would be a time to strike. I think we're actually a more dangerous country when we're like this because we would be prone to miscalculate and overreact. And if I was sitting in the equivalent of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in China or Iran or North Korea, I would say, look, this is tweaking these guys now is a bad idea. They could do anything. And And when a country like this is in some political turmoil, this may not be the best time to act directly against them, maybe against one of our allies or one of our other interests. But against us directly would be a very ill-advised move. Um, they, they could find themselves in, in enormous trouble very quickly. As far as the president Well, I goes, mean, enormous and, trouble. I agree with you, Sean. I, but I think enormous trouble means enormous trouble on a global scale at this point in history. Um, we, we, we are not uh, in a world where we can press a button or send a bomber or, you know, a drone strike into a place and not have second and third order, fourth order effects ripple across this globe. Um, mm. You know, and and your point about it being a bad time to mess with us uh, underscores, in my opinion, the need for us to have a real sober conversation and a real, you know, uh, come to Jesus moment, if you will. Um, about the leadership in this country um, and the responsibility to the American people to keep them safe, uh, but also to the, the global citizens where, who would suffer from, you know, uh, you know a second strike uh, if it came to something that intense. I'm reminded of, of Admiral Stockdale. You know, I, I think his words about um, prevailing in times of crisis is a really interesting message for us right now. Um, James Stockdale, the you know, POW in Vietnam, is that famous quote. He says that uh, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current situation, whatever they may be. And, mm. and I think that's where we're at. I, I think we've got to wake up and we've got to see, you know, Russia is licking their lips. China is licking their lips. 
uh, Iran is licking their lips, not to mention uh, reminding us now that uh, democracy has slipped through our fingers in some way, shape, or form. Um, but it, we're, we're exposed. And the fact that, um, you know, a strike on a U.S. base in, in the green zone right now might result in a, you know, a, a tactical submarine uh, launching some rockets is a pretty scary one. Well, I, I, maybe I didn't make my point clear. Um, it, it, I think what would happen if some foreign country acted upon us in some way, it would be it would have a unifying effect on the country. And if I was advising Putin or something like that, I'd say, look, if you hit him now in the middle of this divisiveness, you're just going to unify everybody. So let this thing play out. Let's see what happens. But if you launch an attack on him and kill a bunch of Americans, all the focus is going to change from their internal focus and, dis and dispute to hating on us. And all of that rage and anger they're feeling right now towards each other has been directed at us. This may not be the, the best time to do it. That's, that's what my thinking is. Um, Going into the next 13, 14 days before um, President-elect Biden takes the Oval Office, I suspect that the president is probably going to be a bit more tempered in the things he says. Uh, and my reasoning for that is, is I don't think the president wants to have his presidency remembered for this. I don't think this is what he wants to be remembered for. Um, I think what animates the president more than anything is to be liked and praised. I think that is his prime moving motivation in the things he does. He wants to be given credit for good things that he does, and he, he wants to avoid the credit or blame for the things that don't work out very well for bad decisions. So clearly in this case, the, the rhetoric that he's been using about the election being stolen and things like that is, has resulted in radicalizing his base, which I think had something to do with this, this demonstration and later riot at the Capitol. And I don't think that's what he wants to be remembered for. So I, I think we saw a hint of that in him saying that we were going to have a peaceful transition. He was going to work with with um, President Biden, President-elect Biden, to hand over the power to him peacefully without a lot of difficulty. What I think we may see, which I didn't think we were going to see before, is President Trump and President Biden both staying at the podium together, shaking hands when the oath of office is administered. That may be. That may happen. Or pictures of them shaking hands at the Oval Office. Um, after the after the deed is already done, because I think what happens is president doesn't go to the inauguration. Maybe not. I think I think um, the new president goes down Pennsylvania and, and greets the president's house, and then they just sort of hand over the keys and the and the you know presidential bowling balls. So, <laughs> Steve, what I, do you I, think? I mean, you think there's a, a presidential baton pass in our future here? <laughs> I don't know. I would hope so. I mean. I, I would hope for the good of the country that we would see that. Do I believe that's going to happen? No, I okay. really don't. I, I don't believe that this president is going to take the high road and, you know, do the baton pass, as you put it, which is it's an apt description because uh, that's basically what it is. You're passing the baton over to him. And now for the next four years, that's his leg to run. Um but, it's going to uh, be our new betting pool. It's going to be our new betting pool on that is, is whether it'll be a smooth transition or you know, or not. I, I don't see it happening. I, I hope it would. I would hope that, that that's what we're going to see. But I, I don't have high hopes for that. We dropped our point about the invoking the 25th Amendment. You want to go back over it? 
Yeah, um, the Chuck Schumer called for Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment and basically depose the president. Speaking of coups, as long as we're on the subject of coups, uh, 25th Amendment wasn't written for that. You know, 25th Amendment was added to the Constitution, and the purpose of it was to ensure a smooth succession in case of a president resigning, as in the case of President Nixon, or a president being incapacitated by either a serious medical condition or even a temporary one, like he's under anesthesia. Uh, George Bush had, I think, colon polyps or something removed. And the 25th Amendment, he invoked, he, he told Congress, hey, I'm going to be under seizure for several hours and incapacitated, unable to carry out my duties. So I want the vice president to take over for me. And Congress had approved that. And then when he came out of anesthesia, another letter went to Congress saying, okay, I'm back. I feel fine. And then he resumed his powers. Um, what else? Um, sudden death in office. Uh, John Kennedy died in office. Rutherford B. Hayes was assassinated in office. Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in office. So the amendment was there also to ensure that if something like that happened, that a that the second in command of the vice president would be immediately able to assume the powers of the presidency. Now, in this case, you have people upset about the leadership of President Trump and decisions he's made. Twenty-fifth Amendment really doesn't apply to that because a, a mental incapacity of some kind would be something like what happened to Woodrow Wilson when he had a stroke, he's laying in bed, and they didn't invoke it right away. They waited several days to see if he would come out of it. They didn't actually invoke it. Um, and then they did, because it's like, okay, he's not coming out of it. So if you had some kind of medical finding that the president was incompetent by dementia, Alzheimer's, stroke, something like that, then you could have the vice president and the cabinet jointly deciding together, okay, this, the president's not able to carry out his, his duties as the president, he has to be replaced. Now, they sent a letter to Congress and they say, look, this is what we think is going on. The president can't remember what he had from lunch and he falls asleep in the meetings. And he says that, you know, orange cats are sitting on his head and he's lost it. Now, the president in that situation could turn around and send a letter to Congress and say, no, I'm fine. Send some people to examine me. I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. And they would have to. Congress would have to send experts there to them to evaluate his sanity or lucidity or whatever. Uh, and then advise Congress on it. So it doesn't work as simply as the president, a vice president and cabinet just going to the President Trump saying, okay, we're, you know, we're sending you back to, to your home in Mar-a-Lago, we're taking over. Because that itself would be a good. Congress has to approve it. And they have to give, give notice to Congress and Congress has to say, okay, fine, go ahead. And then they can do it. So it's not as simple as just, you know, you have to leave, we're taking over. Well, you know, Sean, uh, I, I like uh, how we've, you know, battled one another today because uh, for our listeners, Sean and I have been talking about this all morning um, and going back and forth and, and trying on different ideas and really trying to get to the bottom of this. And since we spoke this morning, one of the things that I was looking at was, you know, in the military, we're taught that we're, uh, it, it is our duty to disobey an unlawful order. And I bring this up because in the context of a military action, this becomes uh, the gray area where we have investigations about whether somebody committed a war crime or not. This is the gray area where we look at whether or not somebody deserves the Medal of Honor because they, they went against the, the order and saved a bunch of lives. So we, we have these, these things written into our, our codes of conduct. 
uh, in the case of the military, you know, this idea of disobeying an unlawful order. I think if we thought about the 25th Amendment in the same light and we said in history, it's been utilized in this way. Uh, the president goes under anesthesia and therefore the vice president has to have the, the trappings of control if something should happen while you know, the president is under. Um, we've never experienced what we're experiencing now. And it leads me to this point of you know, a real thought experiment, which is you know, if the nuclear codes uh, were on the table and there was an order to, to strike uh, one of our enemies right now, uh, how would Secretary of Defense Miller, how would General Milley, how would these guys in the Joint Chiefs and the other people responsible for our military respond to something like that? And could we make the argument, could, could the American people, could our politicians make the argument that the president's behavior over the last 24 or 48 hours has demonstrated his inability to carry out the office, his inability to protect the Constitution of the United States, and his inability to rise to the occasion as a leader of the American people. Um, in, those, in the circumstance of a major issue like a, a nuclear strike, um, it, it, this becomes a real gray area, and it's something that we don't have a good answer for. And the fact that we don't have a good answer for it doesn't mean we shouldn't explore finding a good answer for it. Um, there's that great movie uh, from several years ago with Denzel Washington, Gene Hackman, Crimson Tide. And they deal with this exact situation of a gray area. They get, the, they get half an order and they don't know whether to launch their nukes or wait for, you know, go to periscope depth, depth and, and finish the, the message from the Pentagon. And the EXO takes over the control of the ship. And um, of course, you know, drama ensues. But the, the point being, uh, this isn't a matter of uh, whether or not the president is um, going under anesthesia. This is a matter of whether or not the president over the next 13 days could pull our country and several other countries into a massive war or a conflict that's going to result in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of, of people on the planet. And I, I, I don't think it's something the president just picks up the phone and says, okay, nuke North Korea. It's usually something no, that's going to be something that... Certainly not. Certainly not. My point is in bringing that up and bringing up, you know, Crimson Tide as an example, uh, is the idea that we are in an unprecedented, uncharted position. We are in a in a spot right now in our nation's history that we have not had to deal with before, and all of the precedents, all of the things that have happened with the 25th or being impeached or a coup, all these things that they're important to talk about, but they don't provide us a cookie cutter answer for what we're experiencing right now. And the thing that I, I am grasping for as we review what's happening uh, all across the news and as this continues to unfold is where's the leadership and where does the buck stop? Uh, I, don't, I don't feel personally that the president upheld his duties to the office yesterday. And I don't, but at the same time, I'm not sure that that's enough to, you know, have him bagged and tagged by the Navy SEALs. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, John Kennedy nearly got us into a war with the Soviet Union over Cuba. I mean, that came awfully close. It was the Russians who blinked, not us. And we could have looked at John Kennedy and said, oh, my God, this media almost got us into a nuclear war over, over Cuba. Um, and we found out later that Castro was very much in favor of that, telling Khrushchev, go ahead and nuke him. Do him, hit him first. See, so, what, do you, yeah, what do you think? Uh, 
yeah, I just don't I don't see them invoking this because I think it'll just make the situation worse. And I I think that you know if Vice President Pence I thought sounded very good last night. He took a very measured response. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought he reached across the aisle and, and I think the Democratic leaders recognized that last night. And I think if he was to take that step to invoke the 25th Amendment, I think it would make things a hell of a lot worse than they are right now. And because, you know, people got to remember that 72 million people in this country voted for the guy that's in that office for the next two weeks. So for them to, you know, say, okay, yeah, he messed up royally. I think we're all in agreement there uh, of how he handled that situation. But is it going to do our country any good removing him two weeks out? And I think the answer on that is a resounding no at this point. So yeah, if you want his, if you want his supporters calm down, this isn't the way to do it. You know, this this isn't going to calm them down. Invoking no. the Twenty Fifth Amendment, and jerking them out of the chair—that that is not going to make things better. And I also think that the people asking for this are not interested in making things better. You know, Chuck Schumer is pursuing his own partisan end. I, I don't think what he's thinking of first and foremost is his is his country. I think he's thinking of his himself and his own interests first. So I I think those he, are really great points, and I and I you know I like the Schumer point, and I think that that's a the political fallout for these politicians is factoring into their decision making without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, we're seeing that last night. Um, we're seeing that today. People are guarding their political cachet uh, in their decision making. Um, the thing that that is going to keep me up at night is the fact that we all, and it's clear from DC police uh, to to Mike Pence, none of us anticipated people taking over the Capitol building last night and nobody anticipated what unfolded and we can place the blame wherever we want. But the question remains, if the unprecedented and the unimaginable is happening before our eyes and the president of the United States is, is not taking the reins and and being in complete control of the, of the security of our country, um, who are we looking to for leadership and what do we do for the next couple of weeks while this guy paces around the Oval Office. I think we are the leaders of ourselves. If the three of us were standing at that Trump rally yesterday and heard the speech that he gave, would any of us three then take up the torches and go and storm the Capitol, the three of us? No. And that is because we are probably not predisposed to do so. I think the actions that we saw in the Capitol Yesterday were not the actions of, you know, mindless drones who heard coded word instructions in the president's speech and then were activated. I think these were people who had this kind of anger in themselves for quite some time. And that may be the thing we're really misunderstanding in this whole thing. In the media, um, in the responses on social media, is the, the level of anger and upset that an awful lot of these people feel and what it's about and how it's been directed. So... I think that's one of the things that should also be looked at is who these people are and where are they coming from mentally and how did they get themselves to this point in their heads where they are bashing down the doors of the Capitol building and, and storming the House chambers and getting themselves shot or beaten by the Capitol Police. What put them in that mindset? I don't think it was all Trump. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. 
a lot of them. I think that's a great point. And it's probably time for us to wrap this thing up. Um, and thanks guys. Uh, this is the first time we've had a, a since I've been doing the podcast, uh, an entire soft rep panel on here. So, uh, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was a great discussion and, uh, we hope our listeners got some feedback from this and we'd love to hear your own feedback. Uh, be sure, you know, to, uh, let us know what you think. And we want to hear what everyone's feeling, uh, because this was, we're kind of sailing in uncharted waters right now. So uh, hopefully we've seen the worst of it and now things are going to turn for the better, but we'll have to see how it goes. But for myself, Steve Balistrieri, the host of uh, Software Radio, thanks again, Jacob Sotek, Sean Spoons for joining us today. So uh, folks, thanks for listening. We'll be back with another podcast real soon. Until then, folks, stay tuned to the softrep.com. Make sure you check out all the great articles that are on there and stay safe, stay healthy, and take care of one another. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.